0: the things that make us us, the way that God made us come alive when we stop living so tied to all these unspoken expectations.
1: This week on The Reckless Pursuit, we're talking with Curtis Vanderpool, life coach, best-selling author, and speaker. We're talking about what it means to truly live free, free of the expectations of others, and most importantly, the expectations we place on ourselves. When we can begin to live free, We can truly operate in what God has for us to grow closer with Him and grow closer with the community He's placed around us. We talk in depth on community, pursuing Christ beyond the walls of the church, what relationships are like post-church deconstruction, and that age-old question of asking ourselves, what do we truly want? It's a great episode, so let's get right to it.
2: We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to
1: ask the hard question. A shelter in the desert, a safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes,
2: and our dreams.
1: We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about downsides.
2: We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe.
1: We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit.
2: everyone welcome to the reckless pursuit this week we are talking with curtis vanderpool life coach best-selling author and speaker how are you curtis
1: i'm doing
0: great how are you guys
2: we are great. doing
1: well so curtis um i guess we came to know you through a mutual name is that correct you're the one that kind of like instagram. sparked this yes. whole thing through instagram because i was off instagram for the longest. Yes. So somehow we came to know you. I'm not exactly 100% sure how that connection happened. Uh, I know that you have a company that shares something similar with our sign. Mm-hmm. So if you want to just go ahead, just tell us a little about who Curtis is. And I do have to say that I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the conversations we've had, especially our our, our previous Zoom yes. call and just getting to know you. And we have very similar hearts and missions and all that. So First, thank you for being on the show. And second, uh, tell everyone who you are and, and, <laughs> and what you do.
0: Yeah, well, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. This is like my favorite thing to do is to connect with people. And so I've loved our conversation so far, and I'm excited about this one. Um, I could go on for a long time uh, if you ask me open-ended questions. Uh, the short of it is I'm just a normal West Texas boy um, who met Jesus at a young age, like a lot of Texas boys do he quickly became my life. He became everything that was important to me. And so I've just grown up in the church and just climbed the ranks of, you know, leadership from the age of like 12, Uh, even gave my first sermon preached at my church, which was a fairly large church when I was 14. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've, my, my whole life has been about Jesus and about ministry and about connecting and loving with loving people and, Somewhere in college, at the tail end of college, early years of being in the workforce and getting married, God started speaking to me and leading me in different ways, and I noticed that it wasn't really jiving well with uh, the traditional churches that I've grown up in um, across all denominations and uh, so I had been in ministry for a, for a long time since I was about twenty, and i I stepped out of a youth pastor position that I'd been in for five years um, because I felt like most of the work that God was leading me to, to help people and to like actually love and help people and not just bring them into a program. Um, But it had to be done outside the church. So since then, I've become a certified life coach. I've been coaching for uh, 10 or 11 years, but I got my certification, um, wrote a book called Giving Up Sunday, um, and have been trying to connect with people via social media or any way possible, which is how we we, we got connected mm-hmm. as, yeah yeah um, i put stuff out there on instagram i find people that are putting out good stuff and uh, you guys do some great stuff so
1: thank you much appreciated so curtis let's kind of just dive into that a little bit more so when you say that you started having or i guess more specifically you started feeling god lay these new methodologies these new ideas on your heart and they didn't vibe well with your church a lot of our audience that's has, have a similar story, I feel, or at least uh, feel as if they can connect with that. So can we dive into that just a little bit more of what were some of those ideas and how did they not connect with your current, uh, I guess, church position?
0: I, it helps that I'm, I'm a pretty gray area kind of person. I, I don't really see the world as black and white. Even in high school, I had a principal who was a new principal and she was like, you follow the rules to the letter all the time. And I was kind of a kid that was like, I'm going to follow the, the smart rules that make sense and protect people. But the dumb rules that are just there for rules sake. Mm,
2: yeah. Pushing the so, limits. <laughs> yeah. So
0: I've, yes, I've always uh, been good at pushing the limits that I thought this isn't going to kill anybody if I push this boundary. And, and so I, I just, I did that with some things and not intentionally, but that's just who I am. And there were some things like, you know, just real structured uh, worship styles. You know, I was like, well, you know, we don't we don't have to play three songs and then do an intro video and then um, the sermon and then end on a call to action song. Like, um, what if we just prayed forever? And and it started there. It started with saying, like, hey, let's expand how we view God and let's expand and grow um, the areas in which He may be wanting to work and meet with us. And that didn't go well, um, but mostly just because you know, churches rely, the way that churches are built now, they rely on structure and they rely on the predictable, they rely on um, growth strategies. And so when you start talking about like doing things differently or things that can't really be quantified, uh, it makes people uncomfortable. So it started there and then it moved into different belief systems like is Genesis, especially the creation story, is that um, literal, uh, literal historical event is a, a story that's meant to convey truth. And I'm also, I mean, as I've said, I'm a writer. And so for me, there's so much beauty in truths that are told slant that are told mm-hmm. through story and through fiction. Uh, Emily Dickinson says, if you're going to tell truth, tell it slant. Um, and so those kind of truths are a lot deeper to me. And so I investigated that and it just grew and moved and, how we minister to people. Like, do we really disciple them by putting them in a six week class on Exodus or yeah. <laughs> do we disciple them by going through, or do we disciple people by going through the shit of life with them yeah. and saying, yeah, this is shit and it makes mm-hmm. no sense, but I'm here and I'm yeah. going to do it with you. And so yep. um, that, that just started to infiltrate my life and my ministry. And um, it was obvious that it wasn't. Meeting well with my church, which even I've grown up in the Methodist system and you typically think they're a lot more open minded um, and it messed with them. And so I was like, you know what, I think I think it's a time that I just follow the Lord and do it on my own uh, rather than, you know, trying to fight this system the whole time.
2: Which I was going to say that I, I feel like that's why a lot of people struggle with deconstruction because they're tearing away that structure. They're tearing away the ritual and the things that they know. And so when you dive in and dig deeper and ask the harder questions, there is no structure. There's nothing to balance on. And some people, you know, even deconstruct from from everything and and they kind of look around like we kind of use the analogy of like a building and and you are ripping out floors you're ripping out you're tearing down walls and then sometimes you look around there's like literally nothing left and that is such a scary uh feeling and and it can definitely lead to uh people feeling alone in
0: right yeah absolutely well and I, i hate to say it because i i don't want to be mean but there's a lot on the line when it comes to deconstructing beliefs and deconstructing church systems, um, because people have spent their entire lives on this. Their entire career is wrapped up in ministry. Um, I read a statistic once that said uh, 57% of pastors said that they would leave ministry if they had anything else that they can do. And that's kind of, I mean, they don't have anything else that makes them money. And so there's a lot that's, Tangled up in it. And so I understand, like, when you start asking one question, when you remove one brick, they're worried that the whole thing's going to come down. But the truth is, like, relationship with God is always in flux. You never know what's going to happen. He is wholly unpredictable. And just like any relationship, like a marriage or a friendship, it changes, Um, it, it ebbs and flows. And so that's one of the things that I'm passionate about is like helping people navigate the ebb and flow of relationship with God or whatever their idea of spirituality is, their relationships with themselves and their relationships with the people around them. Cause we've got to learn how to do that well, rather than just sticking to, you know, the, the text or the line or.
1: Yeah, for sure. I feel like, um, the other sad reality with deconstruction in general, and we'll move kind of more to a, a more positive note in a second, I guess, because yeah. I don't want to dwell on this for too long, but another big issue with the deconstruction side of things is, a lot of times we feel as if we're tearing apart things, but we're to us we're growing closer to God. This is a pursuit of Christ and to everyone else. I mean that's kind of the, the, the I guess the the whole thing that makes it so difficult is everyone else, you're kind of ostracized because they see you as moving away. And
2: they see the backsliding. They, right. they, they think it, that you're you're going further away from God, whereas you are going closer to God.
1: So let me ask you this, Curtis, how has your relationship been with past uh, friends or church members? How is that rocky? Is it, does it depend? So uh, I want to hear a little about that.
0: If it was a Facebook status, it would be, it's complicated. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Basically, like I I love them and I'm still, Mm -hmm. most of my friends I realized were either in ministry uh, most of them in like a Methodist or a ba- or a or Baptist church here in my town or if they weren't in ministry they were pretty heavily involved in ministry circles and church circles i i'm not really sure what i expected i was hoping for hey you're going through this season we're friends we're we're going to be here for it like we want to talk mm-hmm. through it like come to my house come have dinner let's talk mm-hmm. what i got initially was more let's debate which i have learned that for some people that works Um, especially for Enneagram eights, like they love that. Uh, but for me, like I'm, I'm pretty sensitive to feeling heard, especially by the people that really, really love me. Um, and so I needed people to just listen to me and to say like, okay, I don't understand this, but I'm willing to walk through it with you. And what I got instead was I would get halfway through a sentence and someone would correct me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd say, no, but that's, but you're not paying attention to scripture. Or, and that just became difficult for me. Cause I didn't, if you're not willing to listen to everything I'm going to say, then are we really having a relationship or are you just trying to be right? Are we just, I mean, we might as well be having a presidential debate right now if we're not going <laughs> yes. to listen to each other. Uh, sorry. I had to throw that one in there once. Yes.
1: I mean, it's just too, it's too relevant right now. <laughs> oh man. Anyway.
0: <laughs> it is. But once I, once I released my book, and left ministry, I got something that I totally wasn't expecting. And that was just a lot of silence. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like we're avoiding Curtis. It wasn't like, we don't want to be friends with you anymore. Um, there was no like clean break. I, there were just people in my life. I still have some really, really great friends. Um, but the, the majority of people that I, they were in the ministry circles never asked me about my book, never brought it up, never, um, There were, you know, annual events that I used to do as a youth pastor with some of my youth pastor friends. And they had always said like, hey, we know that you're stepping out and you're going to be a speaker like we want to have you at some of our events. I haven't heard from him in two years. Um, So it's just kind of this like cold shoulder that's not really that cold. It's like a lukewarm shoulder. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And that's that's probably been the hardest thing is uh, getting the lukewarm shoulder and not really knowing like, are we friends or are we not?
1: I don't know. That's like a blessing and a curse, I guess, because at the same time, like it sucks whenever you're constantly being um, chastised for no reason. And then at the same time, like at least then there's dialogue and you know where you stand and just kind of going silent. I don't know. I I feel like a lot of times there's like a group of people who write you off and then there's another group of people who just don't know how to feel or maybe don't even understand.
2: Well, and I was going to say some of those same people, though, are probably asking the same questions, but they they have their job on the line and they have their church, their own relationships. And they may agree with you 100 percent, but they don't know how to convey that without losing their relationships.
1: Right. Yeah. Right.
0: For sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. Or they're worried about what someone that they've heard talk about me. They're worried that they might say that about them,
1: too.
2: Yeah, church gossip. So. Yep. So let yeah. me kind
1: of shift gears here a little bit to the the more positive side of all of this, because I think we all know a little too personally the, the sucky side of it. What <laughs> about the, um? I guess, learning the fluidity or the just, I guess, the vastness that is God outside of the, the religious box that called you to say, OK, I'm willing to leave what I know to pursue this other thing, despite what it's going to cost me. Uh, and, and to kind of preface before and maybe just to give you a second longer to think over this, too, I feel like we talk a big game uh, in the in the more um, fundamental circles of we're being persecuted, we're being persecuted, we're being persecuted and we're not like there's just not that persecution going on. None of us. Um, really ever have known persecution if anything we're
0: yeah, we're just persecuting each other that's
1: all oh, yeah. yeah absolutely <laughs> we're persecuting each other and we have more favoritism in society than most groups or religions or sects of people do you know it really is a christian privilege that flows through our society especially here in the deep yeah. south and so like when you say like hey i'm actually going to step outside the norm here uh and people kind of label you as your own religion at that point which is it's buffoonery but it's the truth like they see you as like you're oh well you're off doing your own thing here you know whatever you you're stepping out of that and that is where you actually do start to receive actual persecution actual punishment yeah. for that so there has to be something beautiful that calls you into that to be willing to say hey i'm gonna i'm gonna experience this and i'm gonna go through this because this is more beautiful than what i was going through so to kind of circle back from my rant, (laughs) what is that for you or how did that look for you or how does that look for you?
0: Um, Yeah. So it's a real simple answer, um, but not simple um, in actuality. Uh, It's my relationship with Jesus. Like I said, like I I met Jesus at a young age because I'm a Texas boy that went to church camp. Um, And a lot of people do meet him, but it, it was so rich. It was so real for me. And, I, my whole life, I've not struggled having friends. Um, I've had friends pretty much my whole life. Like even in kindergarten, I was, this is dumb, but I was always like the first pick for backyard football. Like (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, I've had friends, but my whole life I've been lonely. I felt like no one understood me. I felt like whenever I had moments of trying to be vulnerable and honest about things, people either rejected it or kind of like pretended like I wasn't talking I mean, I was a young kid that had a lot of strong emotions and not a lot of boys want to talk about their emotions on the playground. So my experiences of God um, through Jesus, my experiences of the Holy Spirit or the divine spirit, whatever, they were so real. And I just felt at home. I felt like I belonged somewhere, even if it was in this little bubble that was about to burst as soon as the lights came on, like that moment. I was most me and I was most alive. And I've had a lot of those moments um, where it just felt like God was the only one that met me where I needed someone to meet me. And I'm an Enneagram four. And one of the things about Enneagram fours is that we crave authenticity above all things. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is so true about me. Uh, If you're not being authentic, I'm going to check out of the conversation pretty quickly. If I'm not being authentic, then I'm miserable. And so my authentic relationship with Jesus led me to this place. And the only reason that I was able to say, okay, I'm going to step out into this, into these turbulent shark infested waters of deconstruction was knowing that he was there and that he was going to be there with me. And I was like, well, if you're going there, I'm sure as hell not staying here Um, because you're the only one that's always been there for me every single time I needed you. You're the only one that truly knows me. So that's been, and like you said, it's been so beautiful because now in many ways there it's Jesus plus nothing. Like I don't have church. I don't have like this great sense of community or purpose or mission. Like it's, I'm doing it on my own um, with my wife and maybe a couple of friends that are along the way, but it's just me and Jesus. And so that relationship, my faith has grown. It's, it's bloomed and flourished because it's back to the basics, which is me
1: and him. What have you done to substitute in, I guess, some of that community that we lost? I know, I know Christianity, in and of itself, whenever you kind of say you're doing it alone, I feel like that would almost like terrify a lot of people who maybe are still in the church walls and are starting to question some of these things because most of us are told without the church, you know, how are you going to know when you're sinning? How are you going to know? Like, I mean, accountability and all of that. Well, it's accountability, but it's manipulative c- accountability in a lot of ways. Well, like the principle we have, is
2: there, the community. Right,
1: there is accountability the in friends. There is there is accountability to be held, but a lot of times that's kind of used as a fear tactic to keep us within certain organizations and stuff like that. So stepping out, you're doing this journey on your own because honestly, only your journey can be between you and Christ. But has there been a sense of community on the other side? What has that looked like? Because I feel like that's probably one of the biggest struggles for people going through any kind of question, doubts, changing
0: Yeah. Yeah. So first off, I should preface it with, I am extremely lucky and I'm very aware of that. Um, that before I stepped out, really before I started deconstruction, I had a mentor, but I actually call him like my spiritual father because he's really a dad to me just as much as my dad is. And I have a great dad. Uh, and I have been, his family has been my family. We've done holidays with them, birthdays with them, um, for 10 years now. So When I stepped out and I felt very alone, I still had him. And the thing about him is he is a Methodist pastor, um, so he can still be pretty churchy. uh, But he said, he's the first person that ever said to me, if you don't belong to anyone else, you belong to me. So he and his family have been incredible community for me. It looked different because they weren't people my age. They weren't people going through, you know, Mm -hmm. being young and married or getting your first job or um, it was him and his wife and his kids, which are Uh, younger than me. Um, But the real thing is the real crazy part. And he had always said this for years. He had said, when you start letting God put together your community, when he really starts building your community, it's going to be the people that you least expect. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And what's crazy about that is since stepping out and since being more outward with where I'm at with God, I've had little pockets of people here and there contact me and say, Hey, Oh my gosh, I've always felt this way too. And I felt so alone in the church or like people would judge me. Can we talk about this? And those people become my friends or on Instagram, people reach out and they're like, I can't believe you're saying this. Let's, let's talk about it. I've, I've thought this too. Um, and even in my hometown, some of the people that have become my absolute best friends that I do everything with are people I never would have picked as friends. Like yeah. they're weird. They're not really <laughs> my, personality style. Um, they probably think I'm weird, but we find this common ground of Jesus plus nothing um, and complete openness to wherever it is he wants to take us and and this common ground of people not getting us. Um, yeah. And they have become, I went from having a lot of friends uh, to having like five or four really valuable friends who really care for me and meet me where I need them. Um, and I meet them where they need me. And it, it's just been, and you know what? Some of them still don't know where they stand with Jesus. They're very spiritual, but they don't really want to sign up to be a Christian. And they have been better accountability for me than all of these men's, you know, Bible study groups. Um, so God, God's real faithful with community. It it just takes a little time. It takes a little bit of pain and difficulty and it takes being open to, anybody that he wants to bring into your life and make community.
2: I was just saying, I kind of vision like the, the, what's the the land of misfit toys or whatever from Rudolph, but, yes. but that's, how, that, that's how I view it though, is like Christian myth- misfits, the people who quote, don't fit in. And so like you have your community over here with those people who look nothing like you. They don't even like some of the same stuff you like, but it's all in, instead of being like-minded, it's like-hearted or like-spirited of like you have these core values, you have these core morals even. And it doesn't matter if you don't think the same way, but being able to commune and being on that emotional deeper level, I'm an Enneagram for as well. And so I love that being able to have an authentic community with people, especially people who don't look like you. It, it, there's just so much beauty and freedom and being able to be 100% you. Cause that's, that, that's how God sees you.
1: Well, in a yeah. way that kind of adds to accountability because Uh, A lot of times we have with artificial community, and I'm not saying you can't have real community in church by any means. That's not my intent by saying that, but it is it's a place. It's kind of like joining a football team, right? Like you're with this group of people. You have to learn to get along with this group of people. That's how most large knit communities like that are where you go in and you become a part and you become ingrained into like a culture, And so like I I say that prefacing, I'm not dogging that at all. Like I have some of my best friends came out of my time, like I wouldn't know them without church. So that being said, even when you're in those groups, you find those few people that really relate to you, that can draw out the good, that can you can be authentic with, and the rest you kind of have to, it's almost like we have this facade we place where we're like, okay, well, we're going to try and I hate to say this, but like, it's almost like we're trying to keep up appearances in a lot of way. And when you have people who are willing to say like, hey, I don't know exactly where I'm at. I don't know where I'm at with this. Even people who don't believe just like you, Mm -hmm. like Elaine was saying, isn't necessarily like minded. That enables a deeper connection on an emotional level or even on a like hearted level because you don't have that common thing that you're all trying to I guess the the common ruler you're all trying to compare each other well, to. Well, and at you that can point. leave that right. mask
2: at the door, and you can truly show up as who you are, and and who just your personality shines through with that. And so often we have those masks that, well, I don't want anybody to find out this part of my life. Or I, like Cody said, keeping up appearances and everyone is doing it in some form and especially in church and even, even pastors do it. And I I feel like sometimes that's why people focus on like the sin mentality or focus so much on, 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 sin because they're not able to fully talk about what they are struggling through. They're not able to fully talk about their questions. And whenever you have that freedom, it's like, okay, I can just let this go and be truly myself.
0: Yeah. 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 That's the thing about like real community, which I don't know if maybe, maybe I've heard this before, but you know, the verse that people always throw at me because my wife and I no longer attend like a Sunday morning church, Uh, We have church, we have spiritual community that pours into us and challenges us, but because we don't go on Sunday morning, we still have people that are um, telling us that we're not being obedient. And they'll always bring up the verse that says, don't forsake the assembly. But if you look at the, at the um, original language, it's not a noun. It's not like the group. It's not even an active verb where like I assemble with people it's a passive verb, it's do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, which means that God puts us together with community. And he's saying, like, do not ignore that. Do not fight against that. Like, be, join God in his vision and his mission to build community in and among you. And what we've done with church, although we had the best of intentions to bring people together and listen, my whole life up to deconstruction, my community was found through church or through somebody that I met through church or whatever. So that it's always been what I needed. But then I went to a place where I needed something more um, or something that was a little bit more open and free. And God was faithful to bring that. He assembled us. And so I did not forsake the assembly. I allowed him to. And and part of the problem with I don't want to use the word like artificial community because it can be real. It's all in how you approach it. But the idea of the church, as you were saying, is like we have this unspoken idea of how we're supposed to act. And I had a member of my last church come to me one day and say, I'm going through a lot of crap and you're the only person I can tell. Because if I tell anyone else, they're going to like pray over me at the altar and try to fix Mm -hmm. me. And I don't want to be fixed. I just want to talk about it with someone. And so that's a huge part of It's like, People don't want to be fixed. They don't want the answer for their problems to go away. They may say they want that, but what they're longing for is a companion to walk through the difficulties of life, not an escape to go around it. Uh, and I think it's Brene Brown. I love her work. That, that kind of community requires vulnerability. And she, I think one of the things that she said is um, vulnerability is not winning or losing. I would say like it's not telling and then fixing, or accountability. Um, It's having the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that we fear the most in church community and church structures is not being able to predict the outcome. we don't like the gray areas, but that's exactly what is required to have vulnerability. And vulnerability is required to have true community. Yeah.
1: Well, and it reminds me of the phrase, like the whole thing we like to throw in. Oh, we got to you know, carry our cross, pick up your cross daily. And I feel like we kind of maybe misunderstand that and take it as, oh, we are like Christ and we have to go and fix all of our friends now. You know, I remember one of the biggest pieces of advice that I've ever been given in life. My mom was an alcoholic and I was struggling so bad. Like it was just destroying me because she was going through like a, a, a time where she was just drinking a lot and all this. And I remember like, I was just like, what do I do? Like, I don't know how to fix this. And I remember that someone told me, she looked at me and said, it's not your job. You're not God. Quit trying to be him. You know, like quit and and said it very sternly and very like, it was just, it was a very like, you're literally making yourself out to be God. Stop. Like you're not her God. Quit trying to play the the role of the cross in her life kind of thing. And it, it shook me because i was like oh wow like i can walk with her if she's willing to walk through it but i cannot pick up and carry that burden for her yes. and and that and that's what people need though people don't want someone to fix their issues because the honest truth is a lot of times these issues are, are really, it's, it's us growing. I mean, it's not fun. Like I'm not saying grow. Oh, like, oh, everything's great There's and cheerful. Like growing
0: pains.
1: Yeah. But like, it, it is an opportunity to find Christ. Everything is that opportunity. Uh, and, and I, you know, of course I'm not saying God puts any of that stuff, like all the, the little preconceived things that we like to kind of, I get hung up on in church. Like, no, God didn't put this in your life necessarily. Like, no, he's not punishing you all this stuff. But like we right, go through these right. things and it's, You know, it is an echo of Christ, just as Christ was an echo of that. Like, that is growth. And so, I love what you were saying there is, like, the most beautiful thing sometimes is just to listen. It's just to say, I'm here in this moment. And you don't need an altar call. You don't need, you know, if God wants to give a miracle, that's great and fine and dandy and all, but you're not hunting for, like, some miraculous... Like Damascus Road experience or whatever, you know, like you just, you just need the love of Christ, and that is the miracle in and of itself, and that does more to heal the heart than anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I mentioned earlier that I preached my first sermon at church when I was fourteen. It's funny that I said that because I don't really think about that often. The sermon that I preached on was about community, and (laughs) I. Thought I was being a great preacher by using a video clip of something relevant, and I used a clip from Lord of the Rings. I used a clip from The Return of the King, which I am a huge uh, fantasy nerd, so
1: I love Lord of the Rings. I'm reading through the books right now, by the way. So, (laughs) well, have you seen the movies? Because I'm both. Yeah, I've seen the movies. I've seen the movies, but I'm reading through the books, so I'm also a huge Lord of the Rings fan.
0: Anybody who pays attention um, knows that the hero of those books is not Frodo; it's Sam. Sam is the constant through everything. And like I was saying earlier, like what has helped me step out into this uh, scary, turbulent waters is Jesus is my Sam. I know he's going with me. And at the end of Return of the King, they're right there. They just have to get up the mountain. They have made it. And Frodo passes out. He can't go any further. And Sam, this is the best line, in my opinion, of all the movies. Sam says, I can't carry it for you but I can carry you. And so he picks up Frodo and he takes him into the mountain to destroy the ring. And that—that that is the essence of what God asks of us in community. Is He's not asking us to fix each other. He's not asking us to carry their burdens. He's asking us to carry them in their burdens. It's theirs to bear. He has put the, put it on them. But if they do it alone, it will literally destroy them. But if we go with them, no matter where it takes us, even into deconstruction, even into leaving the church, which 37 million Americans have relationship with Jesus, believe in the Bible and have a sense of mission in their lives and don't go to church, don't want to go to church. So no matter where it takes them, God's asking us to love them and to meet them there. And that, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I do this now is because I want people to know, like, there is someone whether it's just me or if it's someone I connect you with, there are people that are there for you. There are people that are walking through this journey with you. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's a great place to transition. I know you had mentioned what's been on your your heart lately is just the, the idea of living free. So I just kind of want to open that up and let you elaborate because I feel like that's a good transitional point into that.
0: Yeah, so it's just something that's come up in my um, my life coaching and my spiritual direction is realizing that the majority of the majority of issues that people deal with are really symptoms. They're, they're presenting issues. Like um, if I've got a rash, then I don't just have a rash. I've probably got something else going on, but the rash uh, alerts me to it. And if we look deeper under the vast majority of issues that people come to me with somewhere, it's almost always connected to them feeling some kind of obligation or expectation um, that in reality is not there. Maybe they feel an expectation to be perfect from their mom. Um, Well, their mom may expect them to be perfect, but perfection is stupid. Like it's not possible. And so the only way that we can deal with, you know, our marriage issues or our issues at at our jobs or whatever is to get to that root issue of, I'm still trying to be perfect because of my mom. Um, And for so many Christians, and for me up until like four years ago, I had this unspoken expectation that God loved me exactly as I was. He was never going to love me anymore, never going to love me any less. But I had this unspoken rule in my life that said, if I don't live up to my potential, then he's going to get tired of me. Hmm. And so I had put this expectation on myself from the time I was 13 to live up to my potential that I was going to lose my best friend afraid that I was going to lose myself um, and lose Jesus and everything that comes with that. And so this idea of living free, it's helping people realize that God has no expectations of you. Um, in fact, if we want to talk about expectations, if he knows everything, then he knows just how human you are. He knows how many times you're going to screw it up. So he expects you to screw it up way worse than you expect you to Mm -hmm. screw it up. (laughs) And guess what? (laughs) Humans are still his favorite thing on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. So screwing up is a part of what makes us his most beloved thing. So really just working to help people break free of the expectations, whether it's expectations from God, from their parents, their church, their friends, themselves. When we learn to live free, uh, we can then really step into loving people well. We can step into um, our, our full identity and purpose or our calling, if you, if you want to call it that, Um, the things that make us us, the way that God made us come alive when we stop living so tied to all these unspoken expectations.
2: Do you have any like practices that people can implement? Like, like how do people live free? Because that's an amazing thing. There's so much beauty in that. But what does that look like on a day to day basis? How how do you live free in your relationships with God and with people? And how do you live free within yourself and accepting yourself as who you are?
1: You have 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm done. No. Um, yeah, I have several. Um, and it it really depends on the person based on like what I think would be most beneficial for them. Some that are pretty, uh, a lot more common than others that really, really do help. So this is not going to be anything super new or earth shattering, but journaling is huge. And I don't mean journaling like, you know, writing necessarily what happened today or how you're feeling, but, Some of that is like writing what you, what you're going through, what you're thinking. I went through, believe it or not, I went through depression last fall and I I am not a journaler. I hate it. I hate writing with my hand. I have a bad handwriting. And so my hand cramps, but I started journaling every morning no matter what. And I would sit down and I had nothing to say. So I would just write whatever popped in my head. Well, after a few months of that, like I started seeing things, I started seeing patterns and connections and um, unspoken expectations so journaling is huge. And, and some of those were my mentor's wife, who was basically a mom to me. She passed away two years ago from horrendous breast cancer. And we were actually there in the room when she died. And I hadn't really dealt with that. And so one of the things that came up was um, dealing with that. And so I wrote her a letter. Um, even though she's passed on, I wrote her a letter telling her how I missed her, telling her how I was kind of mad that she, um, wasn't around to see my children grow up and all these things. And that, that helped free me a lot of some pain that I was dealing with. And so writing letters, if you kind of discover who it is that, um, you're, you have some unspoken expectations with, write a letter to them. No one has to see it. You can burn it, but it's a great way to say exactly what you want to say Mm -hmm. without repercussions. Yeah. Um, It's very
2: therapeutic.
0: Yes. And there's something weird about the physical activity of writing. It's different than saying it. There's a physical connection to it. It exerts some energy I and mean, it really does help you process it and move on from it. And so that's a huge one. Um, the biggest one that's maybe the most difficult for some of my clients to practice and really instill in their lives is silence and stillness. Mm-hmm. And I came up with this phrase literally a, a couple of weeks ago. I love poetry. I write poetry occasionally, and I realized something, and I'm going to ask you an unfair question, but what is the only difference between poetry and prose? Poetry and just regular writing. What's the only difference?
1: The rhythm, I would assume, right? The rhyming? Well, yeah, but there's
0: a lot of poetry that doesn't rhyme. So really, and especially today, a lot of poetry is super, super free. Um, The only difference to me in reading poetry and reading a book is space on the page. There's something about the space on the page that just tells me like, oh, this is poetry. This helps me slow down, think about it differently. And so silence and stillness is the space in your life that turns your life into poetry. It turns it into something beautiful. Um, And we have to learn how to practice that, especially in our culture that 85% of Americans check their phone before they brush their teeth in the morning. Brushing my teeth is the first thing I do. I still check my phone before I brush my teeth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have to practice silence and stillness. And it's scary because we're afraid of what's going to come up. But there's, it, it really leads us to start to deal with some of the things and start to recognize expectations, um, to start to give ourselves grace and say, I can't be perfect. So I can either keep fighting to be perfect um, or I can start letting that go and accept the broken individual that I am. Because Jesus accepts the broken individual that I, those are two of the biggest things that I see.
1: So if someone came to you and wanted to take you on as a coach or wanted to, I guess, pursue that relationship with you, where do you typically start? What's kind of like one of those starting questions to kind of get the ball rolling to help someone further down their, I guess, their spiritual journey?
0: Well, I mean, I start with just asking them about their lives and you'll be surprised when you give people space to talk and they know that you're genuinely listening and you genuinely care, this is like what we were talking about earlier with community, when they have that space where they feel totally safe and heard, you would be shocked. Some of the things that um, come to the surface just by asking, Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. Sometimes I get paid to do nothing because they'll hear themselves say it and they'll be like, Oh my gosh, I never realized that I'm still trying to be perfect for my mom. And she's never going she's never going to be proud of me. So why am I trying? But then my favorite question that I ask people to kind of get the ball rolling is what do you want? And and they everybody kind of has they get frustrated with that. They get uncomfortable. They're like, Well, what do you mean? Like, what do I want professionally? What do I want relationally? What do you mean? And I don't clarify. Mm -hmm. I say, (laughs) what do you want? And it forces them to look inside themselves. It forces them to take a moment and be still. And I find the vast majority of the time to get a very authentic response. Most of them say, well, I guess I want to be happy. And so then we go into, okay, well, what does happiness look like? Like what, Mm -hmm. how define happiness for me? Um, My wife's response when I asked her that, when we started dating, I was so excited about her response. She said, a cupcake. (laughs) And I was like,
2: that's amazing.
0: (laughs) And it was so, I was wanting to go deep with this girl that I really like, but it was an authentic response. And so it it told me a lot about her. So that really is the place that I encourage people, whether or not they work with me, um, even if they just try to do some Mm self-work, the place I start with is I say, hey, what do you want? Ask yourself, what do I want? Because that opens up a world. Of responses and desires and pains and struggles and hopes and excitements. I mean, it just opens everything.
1: Yeah, that's really good. And I was actually going to ask you because we like we like to try to close out, uh, I guess, our episodes with a with a question. And so I was going to ask you what question you but would pose us on. But the that question. would be a good question I would think. So. <laughs> I feel like that's a great place to go. And I feel like that ties into pretty much everything. Whenever you can get a grasp on what it is that you truly want beyond the things we're told to want, beyond beyond all that, you can kind of get to that root thing that helps you find your community, that Mm -hmm. helps you live free, that helps with all these things to know your truth. And ultimately, that helps you experience Christ Mm -hmm. because that, that, that innate thing in you is kind of in essence... I don't know. I kind of imagine it as the door, you know, the whole behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well that desire kind of is the door in essence that that Christ is knocking on. So I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And you know, scripture also says, I'm not big on quoting scripture anymore, but um, it also says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And I, I take that to mean like he has put this deep longing within us. And when we're not afraid to open the door to that longing, I really think there's some beautiful things that can infiltrate our life. And it's not, it's not rooted in what we think theologically about God. It's not rooted in how we read or interpret scripture or if we read scripture, Mm -hmm. it's not rooted in what church we go to or what denomination we're a part of. Like it's not rooted in any of these things that we tend to put our identity and we tend to make faith about. It's rooted in relationships the Majority of people's answer to what is doing this is they'll say to be loved um, yeah. or to love and be loved. And man, you want to talk about meeting Jesus? Like that's the only reason I'm doing this is because yeah. he loved me and I love him. So the the core for me about faith and about community is not about beliefs. Um, it's not about practices or worship or any of that stuff. It's all about relationship. And when we can enter into that relationship and learn to trust God in anything. Man, the whole world opens up to us so many possibilities for mission and for community and for purpose. I mean, it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm.
2: And there's so much more freedom in that than with the uh, perfection analogy of like, oh, I always have to get this right with God. I always have to do this ritual at this time, and I have to pray this specific prayer. But when you're just like, you know, I just want Jesus and nothing else. There's so much freedom in that, and and being able to explore and what that looks like for you.
0: Yeah, when they when you're living in that freedom, you get to play. You get to yeah. be a little kid again and be like, Hey, I'm going to try this. Oh, that didn't go well. Let's try it differently. Or oh, I didn't really like that. I think I might like mm-hmm. this better. Like there's so much freedom to play.
1: Very good. Curtis, where can people uh, reach out to you? If they're interested in your coaching, they want to know more about your book. Where can people find you?
0: Oh, uh, well, you can find me on my website. It's curtisvanderpool.com. Um, It's uh, Curtis is with a K. Don't spell it wrong. Everybody that <laughs> spells it with a C. They're spelling it wrong. So Curtisvanderpool.com or on Instagram is where I connect with a lot of people and it's just at Curtis Vanderpool. Or if you want to connect in a more private space, then you can always email me Curtis at Curtis mm-hmm. So a lot of my name, I promise I'm not an egomaniac.
2: <laughs> it's easy. It's easy to remember.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very good. know all that'll be in the, in the show notes, of course. So Curtis, do you have any closing thoughts or anything you'd like to say before we wrap things up here?
0: I just want to encourage people and, and I'm not, You know, trying to gain a following. I'm not trying to be someone special or important. I'm not creating anything new. You know, earlier, I think you said something about new methods. And one of the things that I've learned is nothing is new, it's just a rebranded version of something that's been around for thousands of years. And so I just want to encourage people from my experience and from the experience of hundreds or thousands or millions of people throughout history is that when you put love and relationship and trust at the center of your faith and not all these other things, it really does open and bloom and flourish. It really does become like so beautiful that even if you start experiencing real persecution, you never want to go back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's just, even whenever it's gotten hard and I've been upset and ticked off and complained, one of my friends said, well, would you really want to go back? And my immediate answer was no. Like, I, I don't want to go back to that style of relationship with Jesus. I, I want to be here. So it really is worth it. It really is beautiful.
1: So good. Curtis, we appreciate you coming on and having this conversation. I look forward to more conversations. And with that, um, everyone go find Curtis. We'll have all of his info in the show notes. And just thanks for being here.
0: Yeah, thank you guys so much. This is really a blessing for me. It's great getting to talk like you too.